Good morning and welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Uh, somehow I've managed to rent uh, space in Ted Cruz's head. I'm not sure that's where I want to be. Uh, price is right. It's completely free. We've been going back and forth about critical race theory. It, it is interesting. One of the things that happens on Twitter, I think, uh, is that is that sometimes when people like you know go the wrong direction, instead of backing up and saying, hey, I, I really made a serious mistake here. I, I apologize for that. They keep digging. Um Tim Miller joins me. You, you know what I'm talking about, Tim? They, they, people who keep digging themselves into holes on Twitter. Tim Miller is with me today. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Tim Miller, who is a you know an expert. I mean, you're a, you're a, you're a student of of the genre, and you know, particularly now with social media, I mean, you fire something off, and it turns out that it's really stupid. It sounded good in your head. It's really dumb. But of course, you can never apologize. You can never back off. You you have to double down. So. Yeah, this is, is this, I, I am, I guess I'm a student of this, but, but what was the origin of this? Was this true of Twitter in 2014 or was this also related to our crazy, crazified politics? I'm not sure. I, I do think that it, that it has gotten worse. And I do think that like Trump has sent a signal to everybody that never apologize, never surrender is the way yeah, to go. Contact, um, it's contact lunacy since I'm doubling down on that. I was, I yeah, was just glancing through your contact lunacy this morning. I haven't had a chance to listen to Eric Edelman's yesterday. I didn't. I didn't have dental surgery, so I don't really have a good excuse. I'm, I was curious how your molars are doing. Oh man, this was hard. I, I have to tell you, I, I don't. I don't want to complain about it. Uh, but the, there's, you know, the, the term uh, tooth abscess does not capture exactly how bad Ooh. it is. Now, again, um, I acknowledging that, and, and you know, an abscess. An abscess is not the same as childbirth, and I'm not trying to compare it, <laughs> but it's up there. And uh, I had a, I had a, I, not the greatest weekend in the world. Let me just put it that way. So, How do you get um, an abscess? Just so I can try to avoid it as I, you know, enter middle age. Uh, dental neglect through the pandemic. You know, this was one of the things living on borrowed time for a long time. Hey, you better get that taken care of. Certainly, he said a year and a half ago. <laughs> so, time so for what me to get an appointment. I hope everybody else will do that with you. I guess maybe this is going to be TMI. But I, you know, the dentist was the one thing right? that me I too. just couldn't do during the pandemic. I was like, it's just, you know, they, they would call me and say, you need to come in. And we've done all the procedures. But I'm like, I just don't see how this could possibly be safe. No, I mean, it it, it is like a semi-trailer truck uh, had an accident. <laughs> in my in my head i in in my mouth and i'm actually feeling better but i don't know i i think your brain gets sort of pain memory at a certain point where it's like this was really really bad so any little twinge that is not really bad there's nothing really really wrong but it all like fires up like okay guys we have to fire up all the nerve endings so can i touch talk about ted cruz briefly please let's do it so ted cruz i i had a a piece yesterday about you know banning uh, critical race theory from schools um Here's an indication of how lazy our debate is that when you say, okay, critical race theory um, is a bad idea and we ought to debate it, but we shouldn't have legislators who don't know what they're talking about passing bills, banning it from our schools, people go, well, you must be for critical race theory, right? So uh, Ted Cruz actually decided to come after me uh, after my newsletter yesterday, and he accused me of Trump derangement syndrome. He said, Sykes, who used to be a conservative because they don't want government uh, dictating these things and banning speech, whatever, is now defending critical race theory, which isn't true. He proffers a series of straw men, e.g. don't ban it. And then Ted Cruz, United States senator from the state of Texas, writes, nobody is banning it, but we don't have to allow schools to teach our kids to hate each other based on race. 
So we're not banning it. We're just not allowing it. Mm. And so I said, hey, Ted, um, nobody <laughs> is banning it. Florida to Ted, hold my beer. When I you know, tweeted out the headline, Florida bans critical race theory from its classrooms. Wisconsin congressman introduces, introduces bill to ban critical race theory in D.C. schools. At least five Republican state legislatures have passed bans on critical race theory. So, um, Ted, uh, th- that's where the word uh, you know, ban comes from. Ted Cruz can't stop, won't stop. So he tweets out this morning. <laughs> Okay, Charlie, let's try some critical reading. Yes, the headline uses the word ban. You got me. But, hey, I threw that in. But the very next words are from the classroom. Oh, get it? See, we're not banning it. We're just banning it from the classroom. Therefore, we're not banning it. People can read and advocate CRT and other racist ideologies all they want. Uh, Florida just won't have public school teachers actively teaching children to hate. To which... I responded, you know, Ted, just stop owning yourself here. (laughs) It's just like, can we just have a debate about it? It's a bait. Look, critical race theory is reductionist. It can be bullying. It can be, uh, there's all kinds of, of, I think, problems with critical race theory, as there are with critical theory, critical social theory, um, all sorts of radical academic idea, ideologies. But look, you know, this is obviously just a cynical partisan ploy that Republicans are using. It is it's it's the 2022 version of the race card, and like just own up to it. So this whole Ted Cruz, no one's banning it. Okay, well I didn't mean banning it in that sense of the word. I'm a Harvard Law School graduate, so the word ban means Harvard I, debate team. Even I think you know you're you're what's happening right now, Charlie. Is you're a victim of the of the Harvard debate team skill. You know uh, <laughs> you're just seeing it and you're just seeing it live right now, where you can. So, uh, you know, nitpick each word and like, you know, what's the meaning of is, is. Um, Yeah, look, I'm intrigued by two things. One is his last comment there about how we're just we're just banning teachers from teaching kids to hate. I'm I'm intrigued by the fact that Ted Cruz is for that. I'm I'm interested that this is the first time that that has come up as an issue. You know that that never, you know, has come up about I don't know banning teachers who want to, um, you know, be critical of gays. You know, how about banning Catholic school teachers who want to, you know, say that the gay lifestyle is wrong? Do you think Ted Cruz would be for that, or banning teachers who want to uh, attack the Chinese culture? Um, um, do you think that that would be something that uh, Ted would be for right now? I mean, the whole thing is just kind of is just preposterous, and and it is reminiscent to me of, um, you know, when we you talk about who changed and whether it's the old TDS dental emergency adult Charlie Sykes that has changed <laughs> or Man. whether it's Ted Cruz. I do think back to that primary I was in against him in 2015, and the thing that he was so upset with Jeb about, so upset was. The Common Core Curriculum. You remember this debate? Oh, the Common Core I Curriculum. I, I live and this. If, if the government was going to tell the local schools and classrooms what and how they could teach, and oh, you know, Jeb would say, "Well, it's just we're just trying to create minimum standards, so you know, kids know their multiplication tables by a certain grade, etc." So, no, that isn't acceptable. That's big government getting in the way of what's happening in the classroom. And all of a sudden, over the last year, it's like, 
patriotic common core has come into vogue for Ted Cruz. <laughs> we have to teach the 1776 project, not the 1619 project. We cannot teach critical race theory. Um, you know, the history teachers have to uh, uh, abide by, you know, certain, uh, uh, you know, explanations about what, ha- about what happened in America's great founding. Uh, you know, it is it is interesting, the change of tune in that regard that sort of undermines his whole claim, you know, that, that he's been the consistent one. And by the way, I'm not who cares who's been consistent. Right. I'm 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 OK. With you can change, you can change your minds mind. on stuff. But it, but, you know, it's this obsession that happens with the with the cruise types of trying to, you know, say it's the it's it's you with the TDS who has. And I don't really see the through line between the common core controversy uh, when it came to multiplication tables and and, you know, banning critical race theory and, you know, the 1619 project. Well, also, uh, you know, up until five minutes ago, people on the right were embracing the free speech movement. It's all about protecting free speech in academia. Uh, You know, you go on any of these websites, it's all about they're trying to shut you down. And then on the other hand, let's have the state legislature, you know, from, you know, the, you know, Arkansas state legislature with state senator, you know, whatever from, you know, lower BF Arkansas, um, you know, drafting legislation saying what can and can't be taught. Look, uh, as as I, I think I believe it's come up on this podcast before, Tim, that I am slightly older than you. Um, <laughs> I actually posted a picture of something I wrote more than thirty years ago. I have been writing about critical theory for thirty years ago, and talking about uh, you know the the attack on the Enlightenment values, the attack on liberalism, um, you know, the, the hectoring attacks on science all of which I think are target-rich environments. But it's interesting. So for 30 years, we have been debating this. And I don't recall until five minutes ago that conservative Republicans wanted state legislatures to dictate what ideas um, are not permitted in the courtroom. I mean, courtroom, in in the classroom. Theories, ideas, concepts. And what I wrote yesterday that apparently got, you know, Ted Cruz all worked up was, Okay, if you're really concerned about what's being taught in the classroom and you're and you are banning things from the classroom, why not ban other things? Why not ban critical theory itself, critical legal theory? Why not ban radical feminism, post-structuralism, intersectionality? How about banning all the things you don't like if if you want to get started? His argument, of course, is a critical race theory is is derived from Marxism and therefore that's why we need to ban it from the classroom. Well, Ted you know, why stop there? Why not ban Marxism from the classroom? Or does that basically just rip off your, you know, your fascist mask, your anti-free speech <laughs> mask, if you're banning all these things you disagree with? Yeah. Um, I th- and, and it's funny, uh, it was something I was thinking about the other day, Charlie, is that this is really... and. and Fox and, and the conservative ecosystem is really good at this on the cultural side of things, just like tapping into, you know, something that, you know, touches a, you know, cultural nerve. And and this is an example of a complaint as old as time. I, I really want you to strip away all the artifice and all the BS. You know, all this is, is my social studies, my kid's social studies teacher is too liberal. My kid's social studies teacher is too woke, and I'm upset about what they're being taught. And like, this is a complaint that every parent, uh, you know, who is politically active ha- has had going back to, you know, when the school the house opened. Uh, obviously, the left often complained about 
about history classes being too rah-rah America. This was the whole Howard Zinn push. You know, we need we need to teach more, you know, Howard Zinn in the classrooms. I think that rightly, a lot of communities are like, we need to inject more people of color and more uh, more voices from women and from black Americans into the curriculum. I mean, people complain about the curriculum all the time. This is this was the whole point of the, the conservative mindset about this was that it should be under local control. This was the whole exactly. debate over common core. Right. So, uh, you know, this is not... Like, you know, some kind of, oh, this is a, you know, virus that has just infected the schools in the last five minutes and we need to take care of it now. It's the same complaint, just put under a different auspices and, and under one that's, let's just be honest, let's them play the race card, um, uh, you know, at, at a time when kind of Donald Trump has unleashed the Pandora's box where it's much, much more allowed to play the race card uh, just overtly than than maybe it was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, I, I well, I, just, I, I also think it's the intellectual dishonesty that they're sure. really not talking about critical race theory. This is why this guy, Christopher Rufo, is such a phony charlatan. He basically is admitting, I want everything that people don't like, anything right. that annoys them or offends them or makes them uncomfortable about race. I want them to think it's critical race theory. So- you just basically have decided that you're going after any – potentially any discussion about race or injustice or police violence or any of those things can be brushed off. Now, there are some there are some things out there that are just nuts, that are stupid, yes. that are insulting, that are offensive, that are counterproductive. You know, this can guy, I just chime in on this point, yeah. though? Yeah. Please, I yeah. mean, the anti – the one thing that is, you know – alarming and and i and i do think that it's important for you know folks on the left to deal with this honestly there are a lot of folks who are doing that is some of these anti-racism trainings are, are a little cuckoo and and you know when i see several not just one report but several reports of different schools holding holding like all whites meetings where it's like the white parents come in to get you know debathification training and it's, it's like I don't know if I don't know if segregating the parents of the students. I don't know if resegregating people is the right is the right answer here. So, um, well, there is a lot of good stuff happening, and I think that like, on balance, you know, the being more mindful of of making sure you know diverse voices are in the classroom and that the curriculum is you know representing more points of view and all. I, I think all that is great. S some of this stuff is a little bit kooky, and 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 like you're saying, and that that is where this gets frustrating because you know we, we get forced into our you know sort of tribal fights of of yes or no because Christopher the Christopher Rufo assholes of the world want to make everything into into critical race. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to move on because we have a lot of other things yeah. I want to talk about, including uh, the New York City uh, mayoral primary, which is today, which will of course be tremendously overanalyzed, and I'm completely there for that. Uh, <laughs> and I know that you've you've done some things on it, but but since we're on critical race, giving you yeah. an, a sense of how folks on the right are whipping themselves up into this absolute hysteria about this, about anything about race. And um, here's, 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 is this from Newsmax? Uh, I think, you know, Michael Savage, long-time long, long on-air bigot, is really, really worked up about this. Here's Michael Savage. Because that's the only way to stop this. These children are being humiliated and hurt and damaged for life by a psychotic like. woman who came up with this lie called critical race theory, which is nothing but racism towards white people. No other race is targeted. I could go on. 
And I could go on and on. I've studied history. I know where this starts. I know where it ends. It started in the same kind of thing started in Germany. The Jews were no good. The Jews did this. The Jews did that. The next thing you knew, they were being excluded from swimming pools. They didn't put them in concentration camps overnight. I studied this intimately. I am Jewish. I know how this starts. Attacks on white people is exactly what was done to the Jews in Germany in the exactly, 30s. Exactly. Don't fall for this garbage. This is the road to the death camps. <laughs> Stand up to these bastards and sue them. Okay, mm. so there's what, – what is, what, is, what is the phrase? The, the, the first person that mentions Hitler loses the <laughs> – yeah. But it's like everything now is – this is exactly what they did. Everything is not – everything I dislike is uh, is Hitler. Everything I dislike is now critical race theory, which is the same as Hitler. And so – What okay. is he referencing? Are what, whites are being banned from pools now? I hadn't, I hadn't heard that. Is that something that's happening in his San Francisco neighborhood where, where there's is there a local pool that's banning whites? Look, I, I, my my head would explode if I had to sit through one of these retraining sessions where you had this video about white, you know, about white fragility and everything like that or whatever. Or if I had to sit and listen to somebody, you know, say that all white people are psychotics, my head would explode. But you know what I wouldn't be thinking? I wouldn't be thinking they're about to round me up and put me on the cars to send me to the death camps. Okay, New York City mayor's election is today. We won't know necessarily who won because they have ranked choice voting. Now, this is going to be analyzed to death because it does appear likely, at least as of right now, that a non-progressive candidate is in the lead. And I think it's safe to say that if if progressives can't win in New York City, it's kind of a tell. Do you agree or disagree there? Well, I I guess it depends on what the tell is, right? I mean, obviously, you can overanalyze things. I I think that it's really fair to say that if it's if Adams wins as as the polls show now now I guess just to set the scene for people yeah, who haven't yeah. paid attention the New York mayor's yeah. race uh, is not drawing in the big numbers I just have to say I did my not my party on it last week and it was not our it was not our top most viewed um, episode so you know not everybody is as nerdy as us um, who wants to analyze these municipal elections but that's a mistake everybody because it's been a it's been a hilarious race <laughs> there have yeah. been the best gaffes. Um, but the like guy it. in the front runner is Eric Adams, who is the Borkham Borough president, former cop, um, really weird dude. Uh, just yesterday I was asked what his favorite concert ever was, and he said it was the time that he went to a concert and Curtis Mayfield had a light fall on him and got paralyzed. Um, yeah, awkward. And, uh, yeah, awkward guy. Um, uh, actually lives in New Jersey, it seems like, for his pretending to live at his son's apartment in New York. But the thing that he's had going for him is during this increase in the crime surge – you know, he's been the one candidate in the race that has really kind of run as more of an old school law and order moderate Democrat, um, you know, kind of a machine Democrat um, with the police unions, etc. Now, you've also got Yang, who is kind of a heterodox Democrat, not not a down the line progressive liberal. And then you've got this Catherine Garcia, who's sort of like a Joe Biden-ish Democrat, um, who also said she's against to fund the police. So you have these three who are against to fund the police. And then you have, um, you know, Maya Wiley is, is sort of the progressive kind of playing the Hillary, or excuse me, the Elizabeth Warren 
sort of role uh, ish in the primary, and then you have um, you know uh, Morales, who who's kind of the Bernie candidate, whose whose campaign has imploded in, in hilarious fashion when her staff tried to unionize. Um, so so Adams as the most moderate and the most I would say anti defund movement being in the lead despite his weirdness um uh you know if he holds on to win i I think that does say something about the viability of defund the police and and i think that it does say something about the fact that you know the democrats overstep on this last year is even reflected among their own ranks right not just swing voters um uh, and so i I think that is interesting I, i also just think broadly speaking you know, there was a notion probably about 18 months ago, you know, and, and you and I would get this a lot from 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 right wing commentators that the Democrats are going down the same path. The Republicans have gone. The Democrats are going crazy. They're going socialist. It's going to be DSA, AOC, Bernie is the future of their party. And, you know, it's going to be nationalism against socialism. And it's just Maybe that's going to happen, but there just continues to be not a lot of evidence for it, right? You know, Joe Biden wins, Terry McAuliffe wins in a landslide in the Virginia uh, primary, and now you go to New York, AOC's home. She endorsed Wiley. Um, Wiley could still win, um, but um, if, if she doesn't, it's just another strike against um, the Democrats. Now, there are a lot of ins and outs and what have yous, you know, and all this. You can overanalyze one thing, but I, I just. No, or, I think so. A, a strike not against the Democrats, by the way. A strike against the notion that, like, this, the progressive DSA wing of the Democrats is taking over the party. And it seems to me that there is a much stronger base of center left voters in the Democratic primary than there were, you know, Jebby Rhino cucks like me in the Republican. I, I think it's I think it's going to be a very very powerful uh, data point. Now, um, the reason we will not know who won tonight and why there's still a big question mark over the election, even though Eric Adams appears to be the front runner, is they have ranked choice voting. Now, this is a this is the, one of the hot new ideas. One of the arguments was this would lower the temperature of her politics. Clearly, not happening in New York. Um, but <laughs> literally, okay. Yang and Adams yesterday are calling each other lying scum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> l- l- lying scum. So. Oh, that didn't solve that. So, Tim Miller, explain as clearly as you can rank choice voting. Okay, you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? I, um, Sarah Longwell says breath. that she has yeah. to roll her eyes every time uh, ranked in every one of these centrist confabs that we get invited to. There's always the ranked choice voting guy there. I, um, I have been there. I know exactly what she means. <laughs> um, um, and I, I'm kind of neutral on it. Um, but here, here is what um, here, here is to explain how it will happen. So let's say that there are eight candidates. I forget how many there are in New York. Um, you have the first round of voting. If nobody gets fifty percent, you take the eighth candidate and you drop them off, kind of like in in soccer in Britain right. where you get relegated. Okay, so if the eighth candidate had three percent of the vote, the people that um, the people that voted for that eighth candidate then made a second choice. There, those people's second choice then gets uh, filtered up to whoever it was at the top. Now, if you get up to, if you have somebody who gets to 50%, then you have a winner. Okay. Not, then you go to the next round, which is the seventh ranked person. Their, their, their votes now get filtered up to their second choice. 
and then the sixth, and then the fifth, and then the fourth. Um, now, if you had the eighth first place person on your ballot, and then the seventh place person, if you like losers, then after the second round, your third choice on your ranked choice gets filtered up to the other candidates. Um, and so, the th- uh, eventually, oh wow, uh, that is complicated. Yeah. So eventually, what happens is when you get down to two, the final. You know, if nobody gets to 50% when you're down to three, the third place candidates numbers uh, matriculate up to the uh, first or second, and then you have your winner on in the final round. So it is complicated. I don't understand really why it's going to take four weeks. I mean, we do have powerful computers uh, in the year of our Lord 2021. Um, not you know, the are. NBA All-Star game is able to count their votes online pretty quickly. Um, uh, they've met many more votes center in new york and new york is always this is something that terrible I think people don't realize yeah they're always slow right even they're when awful. they have regular j- voting it always uh, counts very slowly i had i did have a reader complained to me about making fun of this and said you know it's more important you get it right than the speed and i guess just respectfully I just disagree with that. I, I just think that, you know, information vacuums are not good. Um, I'm not suggesting that what will happen in New York will be the same as ahead of January 6th, but I do not think that it helped um, our interregnum after Trump. The fact that it took four days for the networks to call an election that was pretty clearly um, done on Wednesday um, after, after you know, November 6th. So, I, you know, I, it's okay. it's it's so, something that they should fix. But yeah, that's the rank, deal with rank, rank choice. Rank, rank choice, but what is the point? What is the argument in favor of rank choice voting as opposed yeah. to you go in the uh, voting booth and you vote for the candidate you want? And this gives you obviously multiple choices and requires you to think about politics in a different way. So, what is the argument for why this is better than you know one one person, one vote, one candidate? Yeah. I'm sure that that if we had ranked choice guy on, he could make a more compelling case for it than I'm about to right now. But but I, you know the the one factor that is you know on the list of arguments that people make for ranked choice voting is that if you have a um, you know sort of outlandish you know, candidate that maybe could attract thirty percent. Um, of the vote, you know, in a big field that they then cannot win a plurality support, right? That in theory, that ranked choice voting would, you know, cr- would create more of a consensus candidate winning. Um, weans in a, in out, a weans out the crazy. Weans out yeah, the crazy. I guess, but uh, but is that really true? I mean, I, I just, don't know. I'm not sure, right? So if you put that into a bunch of congressional races, you know, aren't the craziest candidates the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the you know Steve Kings? He's not there anymore, but the Madison. I mean, in these districts, are they really, I mean, I think that they want the crazy. I think they're giving the people what they want. So I don't know that the, that ranked choice would really change much there. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, that is, that the theory is that hopefully it would, I think, um, get rid of some of these candidates who are out on the fringes who can win with plurality support. I'm sure there are other reasons um that you know someone could put on their pocket protractor and explain to us um uh, and i'm sure we'll get some emails about this but uh, okay but that's well, the let, main let, one i i would if, if i had to vote um on ranked choice voting i would say yes let's try this uh, i am open to this idea i'm open to anything that is going to change the the kind of binary world that we live in right now however i can also see the danger and we'll see it play out here in 
uh, in New York. So, for example, if tonight um, Eric Adams, who's African-American, if he is he's ahead and let's say he's yep. ahead substantially. But as the rank choice voting plays out over the next couple of weeks, it turns out that he loses. Um, he is certainly already primed to say that this is wrong. This is fraudulent. He might sue. He's going to say that there is a voter suppression. You can imagine this playing out on a larger scale where because people don't fully understand it and because the results can change, um, that people w- would actually, you know, have less faith in this. Do you know, understand what I'm saying? I mean, there's more reason to get, get confused. Like, how'd that happen? How did he have 40% on election day and he's 10 points ahead of everybody else and then he's not the mayor? How does that work? I do, yeah. I'm And I'm a proportional, like my, my preferred reform of choice is proportional representation because I think it'd be, you know, we'd get at least a handful of, uh, of, you know, sort of rhino cucks in there in Congress that way. Um, you know, every, every sort of group would have their little, um, you know, a few members to represent faction. their points of view. Yeah. Their little faction. Now that also has its own problems. Obviously you look at the, you know, factional, you know, uh, 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 parties in Europe and, you know, what you see in various, you know, countries where the nationalists have risen up or the socialists. So, you know, th- look, there's no foolproof like answer here, right? Like the, the problem is us, you know, and, um, and <laughs> what are the people are voting for, or, like we are the problem in the solution. Uh, and, you know, Louisiana and California both have the top two system. A couple other states do too, where, you know, you don't, they've eliminated kind of primaries, you just have the jungle primary and the theory of the, that case being the same, right? That, you know, that would prevent the more radical candidates necessarily from winning. And that hasn't really borne itself out, um, you know, to be particularly, you know, to, to, to draw, to yield different results really than just the, the, you know, traditional voting system would. So, and I, and I agree with yeah. that. I think that there's a, the ad, if you lose on the, if you win the first ballot and then go on to lose, uh, depending on how irresponsible the first person is and depending on who the second and third are, uh, absolutely. There could be, you know, folks that have legitimate grievance about that. And like, have the New York, has the New York electorate really been educated about this yeah. and brought on board, uh, to avoid, you know, uh, a, a, a radical pushback. It's hard to really believe that that's well, true. See, you and I are political geeks and this still makes our heads hurt. So I just right. wonder what the casual vote is going to go. Okay, let's talk about Tucker. I want to get to the NCAA decision. I know because I know you have strong okay. feelings on this. This Tucker Carlson story yesterday, for people who haven't seen it, Ben Smith in the New York Times, detailed story about the fact that Tucker Carlson spends much of his time attacking you know, the scum in the media and how dishonest they are actually is one of the biggest leakers out there. And by that, I mean that he is a source of gossip for reporters. So he's on the phone. He's texting them. Um, He is a go-to guy for anecdotes about Trump and Trump world and everything. So he's been playing this very complicated double game where he's ripping and attacking the media and making himself look to the audience like he is the biggest anti-media guy in the world. Um, He's whispering in their ears, on a regular basis, it's apparently a not well-kept secret in Washington, New York circles that that he is, you know, on speed dial with many of these reporters. And as Ben Smith makes clear, it's also one of the reasons why perhaps many people in the media have gone soft on him, have not gone after him the way they have other people on the right because He's their guy. Now, look, you've been on multiple sides of all of this. This is not Mm -hmm. new, that there are people who protect themselves from the media, 
using the adage, a dog with a bone in his mouth won't bite you. And you, if you read the tea leaves really carefully, you see who's being treated with kid gloves and who's being hammered. And the person who's being treated with kid gloves might be a source for the media. So I'm not sure who comes off worse in this story. Tucker Carlson, for his hypocrisy in playing the media game and talking to all these people, or the media for playing footsie with this guy who has been peddling one lie, one one bit of bullshit after another, and yet not going after him as aggressively because they use him on an off-the-record basis or a confidential basis. So what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I think the media comes off worse. I mean, this is, this is not a unique Tucker thing, right? I mean, right. Steve Bannon was the king of this, right? I yep. mean, there's the classic HBO video. My fit, one of my, one of my claims to fame is when Steve Bannon is like in the background of the New York Times documentary, um, trash talking me um, to <laughs> to some other New York Times reporter really? behind the scenes. Yeah, I get a call from somebody. He's like, "You have to go. You have to go to the 32 minute mark." I think Steve Bannon is 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 trying to finger you for the. Uh, uh, he had a conspiracy theory that I was behind the. Roy Moore accusers in 2017. Um, it was a sort of Were weird, you, weird, Tim? I, I, Were I had you? one conversation with one of them as a media training type situation. And so Steve then thought that I would, I was like, yes, I was, you know, traveling around Alabama finding all four of these women who 40 years ago were molested by Roy Moore. Um, I had well, other well, things thank, to do. Thank but, you for um, doing Thank you for doing uh, that, yeah, even if ex- you didn't do it. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, Bannon was the king of this, you know, Bannon on the cover of Time. Trump himself is the king of this um, and uh, also was working reporters very much behind the scenes. Um, uh, you know, all these guys, they're junkies, too. They're just like us. They're, they they like the rush. They like the game. They like to, you know, consider themselves Bengalis. And, and here's the thing. I, I was more sympathetic to the media in this. At, at the beginning of the Trump era, right? Because there was this notion of you got to build sources. We need to know what's happening, right? And and there's always this balance in these judgment calls, right? Like you have to deal with these people, like they're running the government, right? You can't just, you know, there's some people who who um, rail against all types of access journalism, and and I and I understand their complaints, but at the same time, it's like, well. You know, when when wannabe Nazis are one in the government, you got to deal with wannabe Nazis, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, so that includes Stephen Miller, I guess, right? Um, here's where here's what what uh, what bugged me about it growing over time, though, and that is that, and and David Frum really hit on this very well in the Atlantic. I recommend you read his article if you haven't yesterday. Excellent. And it's like, yeah, Tucker's a liar. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there was this one example of the story where Tucker said that people came to his house um, that, that and banged on his door and which seemed to be not really true. And there's a very sympathetic mainstream media coverage of him. Uh, there's the coverage of him going down to Mar-a-Lago to shake Donald Trump, you know, you know, to wag his finger, at Donald Trump and tell him to take the coronavirus seriously. And then a couple of weeks later, it was Tucker that was saying it was a hoax. Uh, you know, there are all these examples. And and I got frustrated with with the meet with the folks that were playing the access game who would do the thing where they would take a report from somebody on background like a Tucker um, or like a Kellyanne Conway, like a Bannon. And then Tucker himself or Donald Trump himself or Kellyanne would then go out and say, this is fake news. You know, this isn't true. They're using anonymous sources. Uh, This is fake news. And then the reporters just sat there and took it. 
Yep. Right. And they're they're being played by a fiddle by these people who are who are calling them enemies of the people, saying it's fake news. And 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 you just have to know there were instances where Tucker and Kellyanne and Trump were calling things fake news that they were the sources for. Right. And, and when that happens, when there are these instances where they give you a piece of information and then it turns out to be a lie or then they publicly say it is untrue, I, I think that is a break of the off the record agreement, right? And I think that reporters needed to, over the last five years, adjust the way that they dealt with off the record. You know, when they were dealing with me and I was giving them off the record stuff on Jeb, I never told them the sky is green, you know, and then they reported that. And then I'd said, no, they're stupid. The sky is blue, right? Like, I, you know, I would spin. I'd try to put the best picture on what we were doing, obviously. But, 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 but to give a reporter a piece of information, then have them report it and then go out and say, no, that that's false. They're fake news. They're liars. I, I, that, that, that was new. That was something that was new. And the reporters never adjusted to it. And, and, and I think that that is true with Tucker, too, obviously, just as it is with Trump. He plays that same game. No, I agree. And I, I've, I've I thought over the last four years that a lot of what's happened has been to uh, break the model of, of journalism, that journalism had these certain rules. We did these things and not these things. And then when you're confronted with people like Donald Trump or as we're talking about here, Tucker Carlson, it just shatters all those norms. I, I mean, I used to obviously have sources that I talk to on a regular basis, but I had the standard that you're describing that if somebody told me something that turned out to be a flat out lie, we were done. I mean, we were just done. I, I wouldn't have. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, talk to them again. I wouldn't trust them again. It was, um, and it happened a few times. Um, you know, with, sure. with, with 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 pretty dire consequences, probably for for both of us. But yeah, the Tucker thing. One of the. I have to. I have to say that you know. Um, you know, sitting here in Wisconsin, um, there are many disadvantages not being, you know, in the in the loop. But there are advantages that, you know, I don't have to hang with these people and I don't have to worry about that. Um, I remember I was, you know, writing something or saying something about a prominent media person. And, you know, I got a lot of pushback. Oh, this person's a good person. This person's a nice guy. I'm thinking, screw that. I don't know this person. I, I you know, he, you know, he, he's not a fellow parent on the soccer team or something. Right. I, don't, I, I don't go to recitals with him. I haven't been to a cocktail party with him. You know, I'm, he's obviously, you know, a creep and a liar and a crook. And for these reasons, I'm going to say that um, because I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not burdened by those personal ties. And, and I think that's a real, that's a real tension though, is you to have a relationship with someone who gives you information that is valuable to you without getting so close that you're not able to do your job and hold that person accountable. But Tucker Carlson, you know, does know how to play the media like a fiddle. And I don't think that some of these reporters have figured that out. Yeah. But I do think that, that once they It's like they the old Javanka. Remember, remember that old shtick? Oh, where like, you know, so every obvious, time something though. went down, it was like, well, Jared and Ivanka were upset about that. <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is just, it's too much to bear. Okay. Like, you know, you people, they had, they had to change their practices and they really didn't. And I, know. And, and I don't think that they've really, I, I think that they did. I'll give reporters this. Um, they did a much better job handling the yeah, uh, sort of Russia 
you know, kind of like hacked materials. Like I was very worried that they didn't learn about that from 20, you know, 20 and, um, and, you know, dealing with all the trolls and all that stuff, not elevating all of that. I, I think that there was, uh, you know, definitely some lessons learned in the disinformation space. Um, but, but not, not much changed when it came to the kind of this town, Mark Leibovich, you know, sort of Washington elbow greasing, um, that, uh, that was, you know, problematic, but understandable in the Clinton and, uh, Bush eras um, and and really not working in the Trump era at all. Okay, so let's switch switch gears here a little bit. Um, this is this is a BFD, the uh, Supreme Court ruling yeah. on the NCAA. It was a unanimous ruling that the NCAA cannot bar these modest payments to student athletes. Um, in a decision, this is the New York Times, that questioned the association's monopoly power at a time when the business model of college sports is under increasing pressure. And like a lot of other folks, I found Brett Kavanaugh's concurrence uh, to be uh, the most interesting part of this because uh, he held nothing back, a pure fire directed at the NCAA, certainly signaling that if somebody brought an antitrust action against the NCAA, um, the court would be more than willing to entertain it. I mean, I love this. He, he says uh, the bottom line is the NCAA and its member colleges suppressing the pay of student athletes who collectively generate billions of dollars in revenues for colleges every year. Those enormous sums of money, sums of money flow to seemingly everyone except the student athletes. <laughs> it goes on. And a little bit later, nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market share on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. And under ordinary principles of antitrust law, here it is, it is not evident why college sports should be any different. The NCAA is not above the law. Brett Kavanaugh with a loaded gun named right at the NCAA. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> hey, Brett Kavanaugh did something we like. Um, love to hear that. And um, and I think it was important coming from Kavanaugh because here's the, here's the thing. I'm sure this is not exactly an issue that divides clearly along partisan lines, but but just, you know, because I've been a longtime advocate for student pay. It's been one of my hobby horses for years. Um in Republican circles, I'll just say, I always would get aggressive pushback from guys like Brett Kavanaugh, right? Um, from your sort of country club, Republican, I like beer types of guys, you know, they would always get it, go into the whole shtick about how, oh, well, they're getting this education and it's the tradition and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I always would push back and say, like, I, I don't, you know, there's nothing free market. You know, you're supposed to be the free market party. We're supposed to be the party that supports the market well the you know there's nothing that says free market like supplying institutional housing to underage laborers right and giving them a little food plan and saying congrats like that's that's your compensation um you know that is a eastern block type behavior and it's been clear that it's been a cartel for a long time um i think that everyone you know there are going to be unintended consequences of this it, it could have a negative impact on college sports i, I you know we don't know yet um I'm skeptical of that. There's a lot of, you know, deep community and tradition when it comes to college sports um, that I, I don't think is going to be impacted because these guys can get some modest stipends and get and women, um, and then these um, guys can get uh, paid for their now uh, image and likeness. You know, uh, there was a. I, I think what ra originally radicalized me about this is I was reading a book about the Fab Five. Remember the Fab Five? They're Michigan. Uh, they were all freshmen, and they yeah they they were the ones they started wearing baggy shorts, and so they were they were 
sport when I was coming of age. You know, they were the cool college team. And, you know, Chris Weber would talk about how he would like walk by the student store and like there would be his jersey <laughs> for sale. And he's like, why am I not? You know, meanwhile, you know, he's like, you know, scrounging around for some coins to like get to eat chicken right. nuggets, you know, and it's like, this is crazy. And so, um, I'm happy that Kavanaugh made the change. Um, you know, we don't exactly know how how everything's going to shake out, but I, I I really think that it's going to be sustainable. Now there could be some downstream negative impacts. Um, you know, when people say, "Well, these guys fund." Uh, you know, the rowing team or whatever. Now is there going to be enough money for the rowing team? And I and I guess my answer to that is I, I don't. I don't know. Like, isn't it up to the school to figure that out? Like, maybe instead of taking the money from the rowing team, you know, the the all of the administrate the administrative bloat that has grown in all of these colleges could maybe be pared back. And we, you know, do we need, you know, multiple different, you know, assistant school presidents? And you know, can't we assist in athletic directors? And can't or can't we cut down on that? I also think it'll bring more money in right now because. They can do commercials and advertising. So, you know, it's this is like, again, this is why I like that Kavanaugh is on it, the free market argument. There's not like this limited pie that says that, oh, now that student athletes come in, it's got to come from the rowing team. You know, maybe the pie can grow right now that the athletes, um, you know, could start to do commercials for themselves. And that's just additive into what was already coming in. So I think it's good. Obviously, it was disproportionately hurting black and brown kids that are on these teams and always made me feel gross um you know to go down there and know that a lot of these these young men and increasingly women um the women's basketball players are super popular on social media and i think are going to be able to advertise themselves and make money as well so i it's just a it's it's a, it's a good decision nine zero it's nice that it wasn't partisan um and you know we'll kind of see exactly what the ramifications are no and it's going to be it will be a dramatic change and you and you're right um that in order to embrace the change you don't have to understand every every possible consequence of it but i thought what was interesting about this decision is the way that it exposed how weak the ncaa argument was yeah that that essentially they stood before the court and they said we we need to be allowed to continue doing it this way because we have always done it this way this is the tradition and as the court said you need to have something a little bit better than you know this is the way we've always done things that there are traditions that are good and then there are traditions that have um outused <laughs> outlived their usefulness um and from a conservative point of view we like tradition right but we also sure. like free market and they're in real conflict with one another. There's real tension. And so what exactly is the tradition, this tradition which is which has morphed into the vast exploitation of these young people, many of them black and brown, um, that has generated massive profits for other people that they are not allowed to touch. So, you know, that's the kind of, I mean, it was one of those moments in that 9-0 uh, decision, I think, essentially uh, demonstrated that the position of the NCAA of the traditionals is simply not sustainable anymore. That people are going to look back on it and they'll go, can you imagine that they argued that as late as 2021? And nobody was buying it anymore. Yeah, I had someone send me an article uh, of one of my Twitter followers that he had written uh, in like 1989, basically making the Kavanaugh argument, right? Like this has been this has been clear for a long time now. And it shows, you know, no, even, you know, the, the 
even if an argument is weak, like when you have it, when you have anti-market forces, when you have a cartel, you know, not to not overstate this, but you know, when you have, you know, the despotic attitudes of, of, you know, of, of, uh, of a, you know, a Hungary and a Poland, right? Like when, when you're able to put the clamps down on people, you know, you can keep it going for a long time, right? Like even if it's clear that, um, that, that abuse is happening and because this is, this has been clear for a long time. And, and the other, you know, the other thing when you talk about the exploitation, and as I was mentioning earlier about where the other funds can come from, you know, I, last year, so I'm an LSU fan, uh, LSU just like completely revamped their locker rooms. And if you go, the LSU like locker room facilities right now, it's like the nicest place on the planet. I mean, it is just, I mean, it is futuristic with the flat screen TVs and the lay down couch beds and couches. And it's like, you know, I, I just, there's a lot of money that is being redirected into other places that, you know, sometimes when people are like, oh, the unintended consequence is always going to be bad. And, and the people that, you know, other people are going to suffer. And, and it's, and it's maybe, well, no, maybe schools will just start to like kind of dial back some of the excesses. Too. No, you're you're right. It's just sort of the the inertia of the status quo sometimes that you know that when you know that 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 when you actually say okay, make an articulate, logical, legally coherent argument for go. Yeah, I don't really have it. It's just kind of been around. It's like you know, well, it's like get- why, why why you haven't changed your furniture. Yeah, the well, yeah, exactly. But the argument they always make, and just to to defend it, is that is it well they're getting the education. You know, they're getting the education, and, and like, and you know, while there's while surely education is valuable, you know, the main issues with that is number one, it, you know. Uh, they had March Madness. I don't know if you noticed. Like, it takes place on Thursday and Friday and Monday. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, the, uh, the, these guys are getting paid. You know, these guys are not getting paid and being you know forced to travel outside of school. You know, for these games on weekdays, right? So it's like if you want to do the student athlete thing, then you have to go all in on that, right? Then the games have to be on weekends, and you got to make sure that they have time to go to their classes, and, and like that, it just isn't. What was what was happening, right? And and this notion that okay, well they they got the education, so that means that they should be denied all of the value that they're providing over and beyond that education. Because let me tell you, the players in the LSU football team are are providing a lot more financial value to the Louisiana State University than the value of a Louisiana State University education, <laughs> which is a great education. You know, it's uh, you know it's good, nothing against it, but yeah. trust me, it's 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 more. You know, their value is more, right? So that you know that's like saying, hey, you know. Charles Charlie, um, you know, instead of compensating you for this podcast, right? Like, we're going to give you, a, you know, would you like to get a master's degree? It's like, I don't know. I, I, I I'll would take just, both, actually. I don't know. Yeah. I, I would just like one of the bulwark onesies for my granddaughter. <laughs> I mean, well, I, that's, that's all I want. I really, that's all the compensation mm-hmm. I want. Apparently, we're sending them out to our contributors and everything. And I, on Slack, I said, hey, I, I, have, I have kids, too. And it's like, I can't, I can't get the onesie. I don't know. That's all I want. You know, who do I, who do I talk to? Do I, mean, I don't know. You know. I don't know. There's nobody at home, Charlie. You know, there's nobody home. I think you just got to fly to DC and knock and bang down the door yourself to get the I, ones in. You're I don't know. Airline ticket. So Cash. you know, we, we we managed to get through this entire thing without talking about the filibuster, without talking about uh, Kirsten Cinema or Joe Manchin, or the fact that the Democrats are going to have the voting rights bill up on for a vote, and it, it will be defeated. It's sort of interesting. That kind of an interesting moment 
where everyone knows exactly what's going to happen. They're going to put the voting rights bill. This is HR one S what it one, um, which everybody knows is not going anywhere. It, it will come up for a vote and it will lose. And I guess the point is, is what is, is to show Joe Manchin and others that Republicans can't be dealt with, that there's no compromise whatsoever. And therefore to try to build more support for modifying the filibuster it it, it, is, it, no it is it is well that's got to be the only thing I can think of. Right? I, I think that they're I think that they're in thro- I think that the interest groups I think that the Democratic uh, leadership in the Senate is 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 scared of their own supporters of their their own their own activists rather and um, and you know need to feel like that they they put it up uh, and I, I don't I, I can't think of any other any other reason to do it because you're you're creating a challenging vote I guess for some of the other you know my understanding is there's some Democratic senators who don't really love this bill as is right um, but are going to be forced to vote for it because they know it's a loser anyway I, I, I don't know I, I, I was encouraged the most encouraging thing I've seen from the Democrats on this is the change of on the voter ID provision. Um, oh my uh, God. So I think that yeah. that is a sign, hopefully that they are moving out of wish casting mode and into what can we pass that will fix the, some of the problems with our democracy. And that is popular because those are the two biggest things that matter, like whether it actually fixes the problem and whether it's popular and, um, yeah. and hopefully they can, they can balance those two now uh, once we move forward from this. So, so, so just one last word on this, because a lot of people seem to be surprised by the fact that the people overwhelmingly support voter IDs. I'm guessing that you have known this for many, many years. Yeah. I have known this and this is a point, this is, not a mountain to die on voter IDs are not that con- I mean they shouldn't be that controversial but here's here's the the Monmouth poll that came out yesterday in general do you support or oppose requiring voters to show a photo ID in order to vote overall get this 80% supported includes 91% of Republicans 87% of independents and wait for it 62% of Democrats 77% of white voters support it. 84% of non-white voters support a photo ID, mainly because people know, gosh, you need to show a photo ID for just about everything. This doesn't seem to be unreasonable. So I, I do think it was positive when people like Stacey Abrams said, hey, okay, if Joe Manchin is proposing that as a compromise, that is not a deal killer. That just struck me as kind of a reality check for folks who have been, uh, and, and again, if this comes as a surprise to any of our progressive listeners, it might be an indication that you've been in your own a uh, little bit of an echo chamber because you step out into the real world and you realize that voter IDs have, have broad support and really are regarded as kind of just a common sense election security measure. I've got nothing to add to that, Charlie. I mean, all right. you know, and it's all, yeah, I mean, well, it's just, it's the, 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 I guess the thing I just have to add is, is just going back to the point is that when you have numbers like that, uh, you know, you, you just, you have to incorporate into all of this, into the democratic mindset that, that if this is, if, if, if this is as big of an existential threat as they believe yes. and as we believe, yes. right, then you have to act as such and acting as such means Focusing on the things you need to get done uh, in order to fix it. And by the way, putting yourself in the best possible position to win in 2022 and 2024 and not, you know, cutting off your nose despite your face. And so, right. you know, right. getting on the wrong side of 80, 90 percent issues is, you know, not helping.
Yeah, this is not a good time for just the, sort of the you know performative uh, ideological per, uh, purity here. You should get something done if it really is an existential threat. Tim Miller, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. We always appreciate it. Thanks, Charlie. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again. 